Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's How going are you? On? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty good in a pretty good mood. Yeah, I'm I'm in an okay mood. Oh, <laughs> I just okay. prayed. I was praying for like 10 minutes before I came on because I was like, I need to be bubbly. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. No, I understand. I definitely understand. Yeah. Um, before we get started, is there anything that's too personal to ask? Any questions off limits? No, I'm I'm open book. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and get into this. Okay. All right, welcome to the Schoolhouse Podcast, where it is jumping. The objective of this podcast is to provide a safe place for educators. Also, as well, I am a speaker, so if any school, district, nonprofit is looking for a speaker to come and speak, um, please email me at purposeoriginatepurpose.com. Let's go ahead and get into the podcast. Um, please introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Lee. I am, I'm black <laughs> and I'm female and I'm Christian and I love kids. Mm, mm. So kind of tell us a backstory. How did you grow up? What was it like for you growing up? Lee? Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington. So I'd be lying if I said I had a rough childhood in that kind of sense, because I didn't. Um, but I did struggle with mental health. I was very depressed um, after my grandmother died when I was about eight. And uh, um, my mom put me in counseling, which is something that was out of her comfort zone because she grew up, you know, in a very Christian household. So when you tell them, you know, you're having suicidal thoughts, you know, mm -hmm. they take you to the church house and they pray over you. Mm -hmm. um, but my mom, you know, put me in counseling and, um, because uh, I was cutting and I mm -hmm. attempted suicide at 13. And mm -hmm. after that, I um, just kind of kept living, really. I went, when I was in therapy the first time, it was okay. Um, my The person that I was doing therapy with was this young white girl who was studying for her PhD at Seattle University. So mm -hmm. um, I... I felt like she pitied me a little bit, which I didn't need. I already felt like bad for myself. <laughs> and, but she did teach me to have like a deeper understanding of life and living life. So at that point it was like, I don't want to, you know, kill myself, but um, I wouldn't be mad if I got hit by a bus kind of thing. So it was like, yeah. if somebody else does it, I won't be mad, but I don't have the, um, I just didn't want to do it, you know, myself anymore. And then, um, after there was like a break for some reason and I just never went back. Um, and then years later, um, still struggling with like mental health issues. And I was never really anxious. I never really dealt with like anxiety, but definitely like depression and a lot of insecurity um, growing up like a dark skinned black girl in Seattle, Washington <laughs> was not always easy to like love myself and to even begin to like see myself outside of, you know, a slave narrative on, you know, on TV. So, um, yes. And then I went to counseling again, my senior year in high school. And that time really helped me. It was a, um, an older African woman and she really encouraged me in my faith. And uh, I really started to seek God and to develop purpose. And from then on, I really knew that like mental health, especially for kids and black kids, because a lot of, you know, our issues go unnoticed, undiagnosed because our parents don't have the resources, the education, the knowledge. So, yeah. And when I was about 16, 17, I started like babysitting. I grew up in a very like big family. Um, and my oldest stepsister, she's about uh, she's about 15 years older than me, but she had her first kid at 16. So I was like 10, you know, changing diapers. And I was always the one they called when they needed a babysitter. So I've been around kids and, you know, just 
developing a love and a passion for students and kids from a really young age. And then I, um, um, what else? I went to college for psychology. That was my major. Um, I moved out to Atlanta, studied um, psychology again at Georgia State. And uh, um, I was working, as you know, um, with Future Foundation, which was awesome and amazing, but unfortunately came to an end. <laughs> so yeah. that's a little bit about me. <laughs> mm, okay. Let's kind of Let's kind of um. That's a lot of good stuff, man. We we don't we don't have a good interview today, <laughs> definitely. So through the process of you navigating through that experience when you lost your grandmother, was your father? Because I know you mentioned your mother, but was your father in your life? Um. Yes and no. My father is mentally ill as well. Um. He's an alcoholic and an addict, and gotcha. um. He, which I don't blame him. His childhood was pretty messed up. <laughs> um. And by the time he, you know, had children, he didn't have a. He wasn't in a mental capacity as a black man. Um. My yeah. uncle, for example, was murdered by Seattle p- police when I was four years old, and then a year later, his only son committed suicide in his grandmother's basement um and so for my dad his only brother you know being murdered and you know even his mom and how he grew up like no one was suggesting that this black man get counseling you know what i mean like he, he you know he's 60 now so in that no one was saying maybe you should talk to somebody maybe you should work through this so of course he started drinking of course he started you know doing drugs and things like that so um but I would see him on Christmas and, you know, Thanksgiving and stuff. My, you know, I was, it was kind of split, you know, that way on holidays and stuff. He would call me on my birthday. Um, but outside of that, I never really spent much time, you know, with my father. I knew him um, when I was about 13 or, yeah, I was about 13 when my mom told me his story and um, what kind of shaped him into, you know, how he is. So, yeah, I did have a stepfather who was also not mentally well. <laughs> like, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, you know, not a, I can't diagnose anybody, but from my studies, I'm pretty sure he has undiagnosed bipolar depression. Mm. And so days of extreme highs where he'll come home and he's like a kid at a candy store and everything is, you know, good. We can have anything we want. And then the next day or like a few days later, he's super angry or just, he comes in sad and like mad and stressed. So So it's like growing up with that kind of instability, you know, around me was like, it really developed in me a passion for black mental health because a lot of these problems that these men, black men and women are facing are going undiagnosed. They don't even know that they're, they have mental, you know, illness because it's not talked about in our community. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I, and I agree. I agree to that. Uh, I actually, I actually recall a time that this was a few years ago. I will go and um, volunteer at this uh, elementary school, and I remember it was this young young man. He was a young 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 boy. Had he was what probably fourth third fourth grade, mm-hmm. and I would just go there and spend time with with the boys because you know I just wanted to serve in that capacity and I remember when we were having a conversation and he mentioned that because the teachers could not figure out why he was being destructive or why he was um having a lot of behavior issues and when me and him just had a conversation just a casual conversation you know eventually over time you know he mentioned that he was upset that his real father wasn't in his life and his mother was telling him that he should not express his feelings. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. he should suppress his feelings. And, you know, I, I think that's very true when you talk about, you know, especially black men or just yeah. just in general, like mental health is just not talked about. And even in schools, you know, yeah. kids are are 
they adapt to what they see in their environment. So if they see right. that their father's like, yo, don't express your feelings. I don't want to hear about that crying. I don't want to, what right. you crying about, you know? And, and then they just grow up just thinking that that's normal and it's really right. not yeah. to suppress your feelings. So, yeah. And then it creates this, you know, I don't want to call it toxic masculinity because masculinity <laughs> Self is not toxic, right? But it mm -hmm. creates this dynamic of, and even a generation of men who don't know how to express themselves, who are cannot be in healthy relationships because they do not know how to express themselves. They feel as if expressing themselves makes them weak. But mm -hmm. really, the strongest thing that you can do as a man is express yourself mm -hmm. and understand how you're feeling. And one of the kids that I'm tutoring now. They've, you know, I don't really agree with all of these diagnoses, quote unquote, that okay. these schools are giving these kids because a lot of it is not, first, they're not medically diagnosed. Okay. Second, um, a lot of these teachers are white women who mm. just do not understand the cultural under, a cultural background of black and brown youth. So they give them labels that don't really you know, express the, the, what they're actually going through, like ADHD and all of these other things. A lot of these diagnoses really don't, I would say they really don't exist. Like there, I mean, there are some cases where, yeah, but it's, it's really big pharma wanting to put our kids on drugs. Okay. Mm. And then locking up their dads for putting, for, for selling drugs. So, and, and, and you know, Dr. Umar calls it, um, daddy's out of the home syndrome or something like that but one of the the students that i tutor um he's um hispanic and they were trying to give him all these labels and all this stuff and that's how he got referred to me and within a month of like just working with him one-on-one -on -one, he's already he's when he started he was reading at a second grade level and he's in the fourth grade within a month he was caught up back to grade level and within like i'm projecting that the next three weeks he's going to be reading at a fifth grade level but it just took somebody to sit down and you know with him take the time to even talk to him engage with him and and make learning fun. Learning in schools is so boring. Like, I don't, especially when you think about the dynamics, again, of how students are learning and developmentally how students learn. If you're asking a, you know, five-year-old to sit in a class, sit down for eight hours and listen to you talk, of course they're going to be jumping up and down and running around the classroom right? because they're five. You see what I'm saying? They have energy and developmentally they're learning more from their peers than they are from you talking at them. Mm. And so, um, and his mom was, I was telling this to his mom because they were trying to put him in summer school. I was like, honestly, I don't think he needs it. I think he needs to spend less time playing video games, more time reading. And that's really it. <laughs> really. When, and when you break it down and I gave him a book list of books that are also movies because we have to learn as educators, how to motivate students for, for, to learn and make learning fun is always my, you know, go-to. Cause if you, if you don't like somebody, you're not going to learn from them. Mm. <laughs> and if you're mm. not, you know, excited or, you know, having fun, it's going to be harder for you to retain information. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think that especially with, you know, students of color, that our current education system, our current um the way that academia is set up is not set up for us. And what we know this, right? But Almost definitely. <laughs> and Most definitely. We, we know this, but a lot of us, just like the kid that I tutor, he, you know, his mom is a nurse, so she works a lot. And his dad, him and his, I mean, his, him and his, his mom and his dad are separated. So he only sees his dad on weekends and stuff like that. He has a relationship with him, but he's not in the home. And so of course he has behavioral issues. You know, he's essentially raising himself because his, his, his mom doesn't have the time, the time equity to spend teaching him at home because a lot of learning happens at home. Um, and then he's separated from a male figure. So it's, you know, I think that uh, at some point we have to stop putting so much pressure on the education system to do what it's never going to do <laughs> and yeah. just eventually take accountability and say, I'm going to educate my own children mm -hmm. and I'm going to take the time after, you know, my eight hour shift, my 12 hour shift to sit down and read a book to my kid.
Yeah, yeah. And that's real. Let's let's talk a bit about that. You got a tutoring? Tutoring? I didn't know you was I didn't know you were doing tutoring. Uh yes, I've been okay. tutoring for um a while now maybe since like november or so um but yes i have right now i have two clients one of them is you know the the young boy that is hispanic and um i'm an english and writing tutor i don't like math i can do math i don't like it (laughs) i don't like science that's not it's not my lane um so yeah and then the other student i have he is a japanese american um student and i'm teaching him english and this is very difficult for me (laughs) because but that's different how is that uh, it's it's difficult but i you know i like a challenge but uh, uh, what's hard about it is he's a really good reader um but a big part of reading is comprehension. So he can read a whole passage, but he can't tell you what it's about because he can read the words. He doesn't understand the meaning behind them. Mm. And so for me, the challenge is trying to uh, understand what he understands and what he doesn't understand um, and give meaning and definition to it. But it's, you know, kind of hard with a language barrier. He doesn't speak much English. So it's been difficult (laughs) to say the least um but yes last um semester I had I was working with another student um she was also Hispanic a lot of the students that get referred to me are students of color Mm. um and I she was in first grade but she was you know she wasn't really reading she didn't really know her sounds and by the time we like I stopped you know working with her she was reading at second grade level but and like I was only working for with her for maybe like a month like two three months or so but and we only had like an hour um I did like an hour with her on Tuesdays and Thursdays so like two hours a week so like maybe 40 to 50 hours just working with her one-on-one that got her caught back up to grade level Mm -hmm. um so it's just like if I can do this I'm one person and the education system cannot there's a disconnect (laughs) there's something that you know that's that's not right so yeah and and that's the thing with the education system we um when you think about when you think about the the curriculum, it's like it's it's to me, and I know most teachers already know this, but it's 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 tailored towards getting students. And I mean some districts it may vary, especially if it's a charter school, you know, but for the most part in public schools, what I found is that the curriculum is tailored towards getting students ready for a test. Right. Yeah. And so the teacher has to be able to drill a lot of information into their heads in a short period of time um, just to get them ready for a test. Because when students ask a question in class, I've realized that too. Like um, it was this one student. I remember I was helping, I think this was a young, young boy, young man, sorry. And I was helping him. And he was telling me that, you know, when he tried to ask a question in class, the teacher said, we don't have time. Mm. We have to we have to move on to the next the next uh, next concept. So it is unfortunate. You know, I wish it was a way. Well, then that means a curriculum. Yeah, what do you what do you think? We we just having a conversation. Let's talk. I think that we have to get to the root of the issue, which is the fact that our current education system is set up based on cultural genocide, right? So okay. they the 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 classroom setting, teacher talking, students sitting and listening is based on American genocide. That's what they did to the Native Americans to okay. strip them of their culture. Learn, have make them learn their language and even going deeper it is teaching our current you know academic standard is teaching students how to be prisoners okay stand in a line sit when you're told don't get up unless you're asked right unless you ask unless you're given permission we are institutionalizing children before they have an understanding of freedom of creativity of liberation of what it means to be an individual in society and that's that's the root of the issue that that's the main problem i think the curriculum is a whole nother you know problem because again um academia doesn't look at 
the fact that developmentally, a lot of the things that they're pushing on as far as curriculum doesn't make sense. <laughs> developmentally you know psychology we have the psychology the behavioral science to prove that there are some things that are in curriculum that just does not make sense for the development of a fifth grader for the development of a third grader mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 academia i think having so much pride and thinking that um if we just push more information down their throats they'll be smarter but that's not that's not true (laughs) and it's just Mm. not fact and it doesn't add up so they're trying to put more on students which in in really puts more on teachers to get you know them to a certain place which is not it 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 doesn't teach them anything do you remember anything you learned in the 10th grade no of course not (laughs) right and me either and I was like you know I had like 3.2 but it's like I was, you know, me personally, my grandmother was a school teacher um, and for 25 years and she graduated, she retired when I was born. So I didn't go to preschool, but uh, she, you know, taught me at her kitchen table. And so education for me was never, I, it was always surrounded by love. And yeah. I went to an all black elementary school and surrounded by love. So I never had a prop school was always easy for me just personally but I, I also had you know I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle right so I had you know access to you know safety I had access to wealth and resources um that you know especially out here in Atlanta students don't have so yeah, knowing that a big part of learning is feeling safe and a lot of these kids don't feel safe in their classrooms, especially when classrooms all across the country are being shot up. (laughs) So of course, you you know, it's hard to focus on curriculum when you're scared that somebody might come in and shoot you. (laughs) And then on top of that, you know, uh, you know, waking up students, waking up early and the psychology around that and how like brain development um, and kids even going to school hungry and how they're trying to take away free and reduced lunch and things like this. These all are all components of how students learn. Right. Mm. A student is not going to learn if they're tired, if they're hungry, if they're afraid. So you trying to push more information on them and telling fifth graders they should be knowing algebra by now doesn't really make sense. <laughs> it is, yeah. and, and it's coming from, you know, them comparing, you know, lower income people of color to these wealthy billionaires who can afford to buy, to send their kids to private schools, number one, which aren't really much better than private, I mean, public schools and for a full-time tutor who's at home teaching them all of these things after school. So they don't have that same gap when it comes to education and learning, especially because a lot of these, you know, white kids and upper echelon wealthy neighborhoods feel safe at their school. I feel safe at all my schools. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And I grew up around majority white people. So it's, I think there's a lot of factors that go into why students are, you know, not performing academically like they should be. Um, and a lot of them are systemic. A lot of them are starting at, you know, home level, but then it, it goes into even deeper is capitalism and slavery and white guilt, white people not wanting um, to teach real history because they're afraid that they're going to have to pay for their, you know, 800 plus years of oppression, which you should. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think that, Again, once we as Black people and as communities start stop putting so much um, weight on the education system that we know is mm-hmm. failing our children and start banding together and organizing and even, you know, me personally, I'm going to build a school and I don't really like calling it a school because it's not as like something that we've ever seen before, but a learning community where students feel safe and where we're talking about holistic learning. Mental health is a part of learning. Physical health is a, is a part of learning. You learn better if you are physically healthy. You know what I mean? You learn better if you're mentally healthy. It's going to be easy for you to learn math if you're not stressed out about eating. Yeah. Um. So, and, and start putting more support into those kind of programs that are, you know, by us, for us. Because waiting on MASA to do it is, is just, it's a waste of time. Just stop. 
<laughs> that's how I feel. No, that's that's real, and I appreciate you sharing your your um perspective on things. I think um with the holistic learning, I forgot that um I think his name is Doctor James Comer. He mm-hmm. um I think he's a he's like really well known in the psychology world of education. I think he works at Yale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just that's just because he he talks about holistic learning about working on the child as a whole. That is um. That is very important. You you dropped a lot of dropped a lot of knowledge, a lot of gems, <laughs> a lot of a lot of good stuff, and I and I appreciate you, I appreciate you sharing that. So now, <clears throat> in terms of, I know that you say you want to open you up a a learning community, but I do realize that um, faith is a big part of your your yeah. walk of life. Now, will your faith be implemented in your learning community, like? Do you yes. plan to implement faith in education yes. together? Absolutely. Let's talk about it. Spirituality is a part of holistic learning. We are, I don't, you know, we are spirit before we are flesh, right? Mm-hmm. The Bible says he knew us before we were formed in, his, you know, our, our mother's womb. That means we were spirit before we were made flesh. And we all have purpose. And a lot of students, kids don't understand that. And if we started to teach kids that you are spirit before you are flesh, you were made with purpose before you were even born, they will start to have more confidence. A lot of students are lacking in their education and in their schoolwork because they're not confident in themselves. I witnessed this firsthand, even when I was working at Future Foundation, just students (laughs) even saying, I'm stupid. I can't do that. Uh, What? (laughs) You know what I mean? And so taking someone like me to fill in the gap and be like, who told you that? (laughs) <laughs> you're you're beautiful. You're smart as you want to be. You can do anything you want to be. But again, being systematically um, fed these beliefs that um, there's a cap on is because a lot of the kids I worked with at Future Foundation were black kids that they are not worthy, that they there's mm-hmm. th- certain things that are not you know, accomplishable for them. And mm-hmm. it's it's just not true. <laughs> it, it's just not true. And I think mm-hmm. that, yes, absolutely, we need a separation of, you know, church and state. But I also believe that America, not even I believe I know that America is the only country in the world that doesn't um, prioritize even an understanding of spirituality. You go to India, everybody there believes in God, whether it's the same God, you know, or not. Everybody has an understanding of there is a God, whereas Mm. in America, even in, in, you know, the UK, everybody there, there is an understanding that there is a God. Any country you go to, they have an understanding as a society that there is a God, whereas in America, we've created this dynamic where, yes, you know, there's freedom of religion, but no, not really. (laughs) You know what I mean? And this fake Christianity that they try to push that is really, I believe, demonic and mm. wicked and mm. um, gives uh, leaves a lot of people not knowing. Is there a God? Mm. Is there not a God? Maybe I can believe in the stars. I can believe in this. I can, you know. So once we set a standard and set a ground for there is a God, whether you believe it's, you know, Allah, Jesus, whoever you believe in, there is a God. Because you were created with the spirit before you were created flesh. If you stop talking and there's a vo- voice in your head, that's called conscience. And a conscience is, is proof of a spirit, of a soul. So it, 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 there has to be something bigger than us. There has to be something outside of us. And if we start to allow children to tap into their spiritual selves, which is the, you know the, the stronger part of them even, that will create a lot of break a lot of boundaries number one Mm -hmm. and create so much more confidence in learning even if Mm -hmm. i can't learn this the holy spirit that is in me can you see what i'm Mm -hmm. saying even if i can't do it there's something in me that gives me strength and i think that that is important for children to understand i think it's important for adults in society to understand and once we start to understand that um i think there will be less you know wickedness there will be less um poverty even and Mm. knowing and understanding that college was not built for black people like i'm i'm in college i'm a you know 
academic, you know, all of the things, but it was not built for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was, mm-hmm. it was just not. And it's even when you think about how in the seventies, they started up until the seventies, you could, as a black man, go to college, I mean, go to high school and graduate high school with a, some kind of trade, whether that was being a plumber, an electrician, a carpenter, a woodworker, something, a kind of skills. But what started to happen was these men were no longer spend going, you know, in debt to be in college, but getting out working for maybe two or so years and then starting their own businesses because everybody's going to need a plumber. Everybody's going to need an electrician. You see what I'm saying? Everybody's going to need a carpenter, a woodworker. These are things that skills, um, hand skills pay the bills. Okay. Okay. Mm. And so they they cut those programs out of our schools. So now, you know, in the minds of young people, their belief is the only way I can be successful is if I go, you know, get hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt going to a school, a college, which it's not it's really not. It doesn't make sense because your first year of college is like high school. So it's like, why did I I just spent forty thousand dollars to redo the last four years of my life? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. But um and if we start preparing our children and our students um for real world, for not just, you know, owning businesses, but knowing that everybody's not meant to be a boss. Some people are gonna have to be the workers, some people are gonna have to be the troops, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And understanding that mm-hmm. when it comes to community and unity is gonna be pivotal for us as a black community to move forward, especially when it comes to education. Stop educating our kids that the only way you can be something in this world is for you to, you know, get hundreds of thousand dollars in co- in college student loan debts that the mm-hmm. government is not planning on paying for. I don't care exactly. what the is. Exactly. I, what I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> I don't I care agree. what he says. He is alive from the depths of hell. They're not trying to do that because no. if they do, they understand that capitalism cannot survive unless there are more poor people. In exactly. the last three years, a um, hundred more people have been added, have become billionaires, but 80% of impoverished people or middle-class people moved to the lower, uh, to, to into poverty, moved into um, the lower class. Why is this happening? Because capitalism is, prof, you know, prioritizes profit over people. And mm-hmm. I'm just not a capitalist. I don't believe in capitalism. And as soon as Dr. Martin Luther King started to speak about capitalism yep. and its de- detrimental effects, he was murdered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hey, man, yeah, I'm just like soaking everything in that you're saying. <laughs> but no, seriously, even when, um, you know, the, and I think it's definitely systematically set up that way to allow to only pr- to promote that college, especially because, like, you know, I'm not, I know when I when I was a high school senior, I remember seeing people get football scholarships and people going off to college. And I'm like, dang, because I know originally I had a hard time graduating. So the only thing I was focused on was passing a standardized test so that I can um, graduate because I couldn't graduate without passing that standardized test. Right. And all I can recall was, you know, them, the school really pushing the agenda of college. but. Like you said, there's so, and especially in today's society, there are so many other options that students can take to be successful. I think that college is one of them. You know, I definitely do. I definitely do think that college is a way to be successful, especially if you go to college and you can turn it into an entrepreneur endeavor. Like if you used to go to trade school and go to plumber, and it's not just, entrepreneurship there could be streams of income like people yeah. getting money youtubing youtubing exactly. um, tiktok tiktok we is teaching, even a thing now right and if we were teaching students to have skills he could be an elect part-time electrician and still pay for college yeah being that. a part-time electrician you see what i'm saying yeah. but because they're not we're not telling students about this we're not even in our current academic climate mentioning these things students don't know so they go in to debt they go in getting into loans knowing that these loans are you know very much targeted toward impoverishing 
students of color. Definitely. <laughs> and with the idea that this is a sacrifice that I need to make for in order for my future to be better. But then you get out and you're working some menial job just to pay off your student loans. And now you're 40, still trying to pay off your student loans, mm. working some job that you hate. Because this is the only way that society in America yeah. society has told you you can be successful. But yeah. again, it comes back to what is our picture of success? Mm, good question. Good question. <laughs> and for me, it's not sitting at somebody's office working for some white man. That's just doesn't doesn't that's not success for me. Um, mm. But this is the picture that is painted for us from the time that we are put into schools and school. In our cur- its current climate, is an institution to institutionalize students to prepare them for jail or to work in somebody's corporate office. Yeah, definitely, definitely. School is definitely, uh, for sure, prepared. And I even can speak on that, you know, because when you get up, you go to school. What school is what seven, seven to three, seven to four, eight to four. It varies depending on what grade level you you you're at. Mm-hmm. and you get off, you go home, do your homework, and then you get back up and you do it all over again the Monday through Friday. That's yeah. the same way the corporate world works. It's yeah. an eight to five. So, yeah, they're very in one in the same for sure. Yeah, and especially when we're not, you know, teaching students about the world. When, mm-hmm. when, when, a, when a, especially a black child doesn't know that there are, there, there, there is a whole world out there traveling. I think uh, the last time I read, it was like 16% of Black Americans have passports. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's because they don't know anything outside of, especially what's so sad about for me is how many Black men I've met since being in the South that have never left the South. Yeah, have no understanding that there is a whole life, a whole world outside of the South and the Southern, you know, procedures and protocols and (laughs) that there is a way for us to live um, free. And, and it goes back to even what you were talking about earlier, as far as spirituality, if we teach students spirituality, the guy that I believe in says that you are free in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Freedom is what he has given us through his sacrifice on the cross. Freedom, freedom. We are free. And that mm. means I can do whatever I, I choose and not just whatever I choose, but whatever I'm called to do, whatever I am purposed to do. Me specifically, I've been called to the black students, which is the black community. And yeah. I know that that is what I'm purposed to do. So in every aspect, in every realm that God puts me in, I still know and understand my purpose is to come to the aid of black students, black children. Mm. And that's real, man. And what you said is so true. I, I've actually, because I, I listen to a few podcasts on my on my downtime, and they have um, study abroad. Some I've heard of some. I heard of one teacher I know at a school in particular that does a study abroad program for students. They're high school students, mm. and they get the opportunity to go and travel and see the world. And I think that's phenomenal because yeah, I just 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 to be transparent. My first time on a plane was, was it last year, you wow. know, and I went to, I've been to different states before, but getting on that plane was a different experience. And then recently I just went to New York and I was like, whoa, it's really <laughs> a different world. Yeah, like, and I'm yeah. so glad that I actually, now the next step is definitely a passport. Now I definitely got to go and see different countries, but man. Definitely yeah. down in the South, it is pretty normal for people that have not been outside of Georgia and they've yeah. just only seen Georgia. And I'm like, now that's in New York. I'm like, man, I want to go to Dubai. I want to go here. I want to go there. So definitely. <laughs> yeah. And my friend, she actually just got same thing as you just for first time flying was this year. Um, but again, it goes back to like my child, the way I grew up, you know, in a somewhat wealthy, you know, family, we were going to family reunions and, you know, in California and Oklahoma, I've been oh, to wow. Jamaica. Like, so I, as a young kid was exposed to traveling to different, you know, places and stuff like that. But when you have wealth, you see what I'm saying? We have access to privilege, you know, that's 
something that comes with that. But when we're talking about lower income, you know, youth and especially people of color don't have access. Mm. If they're going to go somewhere, they're going to drive. You see what I mean? And mm. not saying that driving is bad because they're, you know, I've been road tripping too. Um, but being having to get go somewhere that is so far that you literally cannot drive mm. is something to mm. experience. Cause I know a lot of people out here, you know, down south that they have been to, you know, Texas and they've been to, you know, Alabama and Florida, but they drove. Yeah, um, so they've never been somewhere where you know it's too far for you to drive. Yeah, and that that closes the, and even you know keeps their perspective, their world perspective, their worldview, their world understanding so small. Yeah, and it helps them to be content. This yeah. is Willie Lynch's theory in effect. Mm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It starts with a mental. Um, uh, understanding a mental capacity to think that oh this is all that is it is you yeah know? this is all that I know this is all that I've experienced so I I'm gonna be okay with this because I I've never seen anything else I can't mm. imagine anything else mm. and that's another thing that schools do to us it strips away our imagination mm. but again the Bible talks about faith is having of oh, things you cannot see. Yeah. Vision is having imagination to say, if if God be for me, who can be against me? And yeah. this and the God of the universe has there is so much abundance. There is nothing I can't have. And if I can imagine it, if I can see it, if I can see people being set free, if I can see, you know, a learning community where black and brown children feel safe and loved and start to enjoy learning, it can come to pass. If I can let it out of my mouth because the power of life and death is in the tongue, it can come to pass. I can manifest it. But what t schools are teaching us is don't manifest. Don't speak things <laughs> because it's too much and you're going to be disappointed and all of these different things. So it's stripping away our imagination and stripping away our um, our creativity and turning us into zombies, more or mm. less, <laughs> turning us into robots, into people who don't um, aspire change really mm -hmm. and even when it like talking to my mom and just you know her growing up and her understanding of things is oh it's just this is the way it is kind of understanding i'm just like well it doesn't have to be though yeah and who told you that <laughs> mm. <laughs> who told you that it doesn't have to be though and as for me in my house well, no mm -mm. this is not the life that god has told me that is mine yeah and so until i see that come to pass I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna settle. I'm not gonna be content with the fact that black people are, are murdered. You know, 66 percent more likely to be murdered. I think it's. I think it's gone up now, but mm. more likely to be murdered by police or how you know you know, even with the school shootings, like more likely to be murdered in a classroom. Yeah, <laughs> like and that's sad and sick and wicked and. Again, we as, you know, black people, black Americans have to stop putting so much weight on our government, quote unquote, to do for us. They're never going to do it. Stop. No, definitely. I, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely have to uh, agree with you um, on that. And man, you know, and I want to ask a question. This question came to my mind as you um, continue. You, you, were, you mentioned that... Uh, that you went to Jamaica and you went to like travel the country, you mm -hmm. know, when you were young, you had the um, opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. So when, when was the first spark for you? Because, you know, you have the opportunity to, to, to do these different things. And as you know, that people in the low income communities don't really get that opportunity mm -hmm. to, to to have access to those resources. So yeah. where was that that love and that passion, that zeal come from where you say, I know that I've had resources and different things growing up, but yet you deeply desire to want to help out the and I mean help out people in the low income community. 
Um, for me, my eye-opening moment was 2016. Okay. So I graduated high school 2016. I went to a college in Washington, Central Washington, Central Washington University. And this was during um, the Trump um, era. Okay. And this was right at the beginning of it when he was still running. And I... I was on this campus is a very white campus and there was Trump signs everywhere and MAGA hats and all of these things. And I'm like, I am 80 miles away from my home, 87 to be exact miles away from my home, from liberal quote unquote Seattle, from this utopia in a sense where everybody's equal. This is what I grew up thinking. Everybody's, you know, equal. It's, it's all, you know, everything's good kind of, you know, blindness. Right. And, um, I went to central Washington. I was there during the election and I had asked this guy with a MAGA hat on mm-hmm. who was, um, you know, a white man. And I said, so when was America great? And he looked me dead in my eyes and told me 1950. And I said, so do you know who Emmett Till is? And he said, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, well, wow. well, that's obviously why you believe that. Statement. Yeah. Who told you that? He said, my grandfather. And I said, of course, your grandfather is a white man. And yeah. for me, it made me so angry because like I had been going to school with these people. You see what I'm saying? You, he grew up in Washington. You yeah. see, I grew up in Washington. So it's like two very different aspects. And then the KKK was on campus. Um, passing out flyers. There were white men walking around campus with um, Confederate flags in their pocket like they don't understand that they lost. You lost the war. And so when, and and for like a lot of like white people, especially the fact that I'm educated and I'm kind of like a nerd and I know a lot of things, it is intimidating for them because their ignorance is blissful. But when you're speaking facts to them and when you're giving them education and knowledge, it's, it's starting to corrupt and even put them in a, a mind space of what I've been lied to my whole life. Yes. Yes, sir. You have. <laughs> and So have yeah. I, and you have to accept it. And for me, it was, it was just like an eye opening an aha kind of moment because I grew up around white people, never had a problem, you know, with white people until I got there. And like, you know, I'm being myself and like people are looking at me like, oh, you know, you walk past somebody in the morning, you say good morning. And they're looking at me like I have shit on my face. <laughs> like, excuse really? my language, but wow. literally or, or like you know, the can I touch your hair questions and just like, what? What is going on here? <laughs> I I what? This is, and then I went to this meeting at my school like the first semester. I left after the first semester, by the way. I couldn't. I'm not built for that. And I would have went to jail. <laughs> but um, after the first semester, I went to this like group and where it was a black kids who were sitting down with the president after, you know, all of the, you know, Trump stuff and telling stories about how they've been attacked, how a girl was invited to a party. She got there. There was no one there. And it was a bunch of white guys that beat her up. Um, wow. Another story of black girls walking down the street, minding their business and having eggs thrown at them from cars. Um, so stories mm-hmm. like that for me, let me know, oh, I got to go because I will end up in jail. <laughs> I will end up in knowing, and like knowing that um, white people are intimidated by my intelligence. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that I can articulate myself. Mm. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So I'm already a target and I, I yeah, no, I, I need to go. But for me that, I think it hurt me too because I was so blissful. You know what I mean? I grew up so privileged and I didn't really know. And for me, it saddened me because I was like, man, this is how people in the South have to go to school every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is this is how this is, you know, black people who don't have who don't live in Seattle, Washington, um, are experiencing life. Oh, my God, Lee. What? You you, you what? It was such a like a, an eye opening moment for me that I was like, I have to do something. I have to use my power, my knowledge, my access to give to those who don't have. Right. I have yeah. to. And even that was one of the big um 
reasons why I decided to move to Atlanta because I want to work with black students <laughs> and uh, up you know I was working with a few nonprofits up in Seattle but a lot of the people that we were assisting were white so then I'm just like mm, you y'all already have too much y'all mm. already y'all don't need me my people need me and you see what I'm saying y'all have y'all have y'all's things and um coming out here and even when I was working at Future Foundation and working with some of my kids and hearing you know their testimonies hearing um some of the things that they go through it was just like another kind of level of eye-opening like wow I thought I knew and I had no idea mm. um and so my heart posture was help change purpose you know god has put so much on the inside of me to be able to give to others and, and a lot of it starts with simple love as educators sometimes i think we can forget that students are people too and love goes a long way mm. just listening instead of you know punishing them for being angry why are you angry what's what's going on mm. and a lot of the times a kid is just waiting for someone to ask them um, and even opening up and being, you know, having a safe enough space to talk about suicide, to talk about, you know, depression and what leads to these, these different diagnoses and to talk about that therapy doesn't make you crazy, keeps you from going crazy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot right. of our, you know, our parents in the older generation always looked at it as like some kind of negative that um, I I'm crazy if I go to counseling. No, you're crazy if you don't go to counseling mm. <laughs> because you're letting your trauma fester and you don't have the resources, tools, knowledge and information to cure yourself. It's prideful. Mm. And pride becomes before a what? fall and your children <laughs> are the ones that are falling the generation yeah. are the ones that are falling mm. no that's um that's real i think um therapy i see a therapist you know i think therapy is so important I, and like you said back in the day man you had to be dang near dying for people to for it to be culturally accepted that you go to therapy why you know and nowadays you know I advocate for people to go to therapy if you have a hard time just having to communicate your feelings or ah, to talk about your feelings. Or Why even... are you getting high all the time? There's something deeper than that. I'm, yeah. like, I'm just saying, me personally, I've struggled with that. And yeah. I have to get to the root of it. And it's mm. not just because for funsies. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's deeper yeah. than that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um. And so we're about to go ahead and wrap up the podcast. We're getting, we're getting at a um at a good timing now. And I always like to end the uh, podcast with, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Mm, um, with platform and influence and working in purpose, um, probably doing something like going to schools and motivationally speaking um, and starting to build my learning community mm. um, and, uh, you know, continuing to trust God in all areas, continuing to seek him. And um, I think for me right now, what I'm trying, where I'm at is developing relationships and partnerships so hopefully having a team of people, I believe in community so strongly, um, having a community around me that um, aids in, you know, providing resources, access to black students. And, not, and that doesn't mean that other students don't need it, but as for me, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm coming for the black kids okay so mm. that's what I would say in the next five years that I want to be I will be by the grace of the almighty so yeah alright sounds good and those are some, those are some awesome goals alright that is all we have at the schoolhouse podcast I hope you all enjoyed it Lee you have been a phenomenal phenomenal guest we definitely do appreciate you dropping you know just about your life and just your education experience and your professional experience, you know, from tutoring with, with students and that first aha moment to want to help students in the urban communities. And so thank you for your time. And that concludes the Schoolhouse Podcast. And we are out. Bye.